a Sunday school teacher asked their grade school class how old they thought Isaac was when God told Abraham to sacrifice his son. A boy raised his hand and said Isaac could not have been any more than 12. The teacher said, well, how could you possibly know that for sure, young man? The boy said, I have a brother and a sister who are in their teens. I'm not sure it would have been that much of a sacrifice if Isaac was older than 12. (laughs) So uh, if you have teenagers, you can laugh to that, right? You get that. If you can't laugh to that, just wait. (laughs) It's coming. It is coming. In 2 Samuel 13, as God promised in chapter 12 and verse 10 that the sword would never depart from David's house, and that was certainly true, the sword began to fall, and it continues to fall, including here in chapter 13, the first half of this chapter, I mean this entire chapter for sure, but the first half of this chapter captures one of the darkest episodes that you will ever encounter in Scripture that was perpetrated by David's firstborn, Amnon, whose scholars place to be around the age of 22 at this point in his life. While this is part of David's reaping, given that it involves his children, this opens the door for us to have a conversation about parenting. Because in the coming chapters, we're just going to see more and more. We're going to see the children of David. And you can't look at David's children without looking at David the father, which gives us a platform to have a discussion about parenting because David's son, Amnon, thought and did something that was unspeakable. Unspeakable. And you talk about a tough message to prepare, right? I mean, you don't prepare a message without, it's, it's always on your mind, it's on your heart. It's, this is heavy, very heavy, okay? Very heavy. But here's the key for us. Those dark thoughts did not appear out of nowhere at the age of 22, It wasn't like Amnon just woke up one day and began to think like this. It never happens that way. As I try to do every time when I handle the Word of God, I'm going to, as best as I can, I am going to do my dead-level best to present what the Word of God says. I'm not saying I'm the best at it. I'm not saying that I get it 100% right every time, but... But I do give it my best, and I do think very hard about how to present what the Word of God is saying about any topic. I say that because any time that I preach about parenting, I always feel like I'm standing on thin ice. I do. I feel like it's unsafe. It's like I should be wearing a bulletproof vest. (laughs) I do. I, I, I feel this way. Praise the Lord. We love our children as we should. I believe all of you do. I know. I think I know all of you. And I know your love for your children. And, and I, I applaud that. I respect that. I'm not saying that 
I love my children more. I'm not saying that I'm a better father than anybody in this room. That's not how I think. I don't think that my children are better than your children. God forbid, none of that. But to hear from God, not me, hopefully, that we are off in our view and in our approach to parenting can feel so hurtful that we feel like we are being personally attacked by the one who is saying these things. And we're being accused of being horrible parents. Like that, that, that's, that's, that's not where I'm coming from. That's, again, I'm just trying to be faithful to what the Word of God says, but you should know by now that none of us, myself included, none of us can be under the teaching and preaching of God's Word without being reproved and rebuked. Amen. That's what the Bible does. It shows us things. It's a mirror, right? It shows us where we're off. It shows us where we need to get right and all of that. And it's my responsibility to be faithful before the Lord to say what it says. But one of the reasons that hearing about parenting can be so hard, listen very carefully, because this, this really helps us hopefully to understand why this can be so tough is many believers are worldly in their view and approach to parenting. Worldly. Not biblical, but worldly. Though quiet, their position is God either got it wrong on parenting or most of what he says about it is outdated and expired. It's just out of touch. Yeah, I'm sure at one point in time that made sense and that was cultural and all of that, but, but in 2024, I'm sorry, God, you're just going to have to do better. This is why you will hear believers say that parenting doesn't come with a manual. There are believers who actually believe that, that parenting did not come with a manual. We should know, though, that any time we think that our way is better than God's way, that's never going to end well. Anytime you tell God, I know what you say in your word, but when it comes to this particular issue, I got it. Sadly, I have seen the reaping of that when as their children age, those parents watch their children walk away from the Lord, walk away from his word, walk away from the church and nosedive into the world. That's what that parenting approach produced. So today, and as biblical and as simple of an approach as I know how, I just want to give you three very basic lessons that as parents, we must teach our children. There are many more, of course, but these are very basic, they're, but they're very strong. They're very potent. New parents, praise the Lord, you're a new parent. You know, you, you've got an infant, a beautiful little girl back there. I don't know if there are any more here today. Um, 
yeah, I met this guy here. He's, he's a new father, so that, that's good. So, so you're going to get a head start. You're going to get, this is an outline for you to file away and, and, and keep handy, right? You're, you're kind of getting a cheat sheet if we can look at it that way. Um, so praise the Lord. If you are a grandparent or you're empty nester, you know what you're going to do? You're going to be praying. You're praying for your grandchildren. You're praying for the Children of Life Fellowship. You're praying and you're willing to encourage support. Um, I'm still parenting. Our, our, I mean, it's, uh, we have young adults now, 19 and 18, and uh, the heavy lifting's done. It is, but we're still tweaking here and there, and all good, all right? But listen, if these lessons are taught and grasped, you're going to win in parenting, and your children are going to thrive in their relationship with God. But to lose here, I tremble to try to describe to you the massive loss that will be a reality in your children. It will be gut-wrenching and very grievous to the Lord. 2 Samuel 13 and verse 1, we begin. And it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. And he said unto him, Why art thou, being the king's son, lean from day to day? Wilt thou not tell me? And Amnon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And Jonadab said unto him, Lay thee down on thy bed, and make thyself sick. And when thy father cometh to see thee, say unto him, I pray thee, let my sister Tamar come and give me meat, and dress the meat in my sight, that I may see it and eat it at her hand. So Absalom and Tamar had the same father and mother, so they were full brother and sister. But Tamar and Amnon had the same father, but not the same mother, so she was Amnon's half-sister. And verse 1 tells us that Tamar was fair. That is, she was a very beautiful young woman. Scholars believe that her age at this point was around the age of 15. And her beauty caught the attention and perverted desire of her brother, Amnon. Verse 1 says, And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. It is obvious from the context that this love was not pure. This love was dark. This love was carnal. This love was inappropriate. It was off. Amnon had a lustful desire for Tamar that was only growing by the day. It was intensifying. Remember, we said last week that the sins of the father often manifest in his children. And you're seeing that right here. David's lust for Bathsheba and his actions thereafter were out of bounds. 
Well, here we are with his son Amnon, who would not have been in the dark on what his father had done. (laughs) He knew all of David's children would have known what his father had done. And here's Amnon, who, just like his father, is going to cross the lines of God's word and do immeasurable damage. When I say immeasurable damage, I mean immeasurable damage. What is on Omnon's mind and where he's going, I mean, it is grievous to preach this, to think like this. I have a beautiful virgin, 18-year-old daughter. (laughs) This is hard. But our first and very critical lesson that we must teach our children is extracted from verse 1, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Listen, we must teach our children to love God. We must teach them to love God. We must. And as a father, as the king of Israel, David would have known that. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Unlike their pagan neighbors, uh, Israel didn't have many gods. They didn't. They had one God, the Lord our God, or Jehovah our Elohim. And to this day, devout Jews regard verses 4 and 5 as the Shema. That is, they recite it twice a day, once in the morning and once in the evening. And what it is, is, is it is a call to remind them to love God with all of their being, with their whole being, to love God. And Jesus quoted this in the Synoptic Gospels of Mark 12, 29 and 30, we see it. And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. If this is the first and great commandment, then certainly it is something that we must teach our children, right? (laughs) You've got to teach your children this. I have to teach my children this. This is evident from the context of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Look at verse 7 again. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Here's the clear observation about Amnon. Listen very carefully. He loved his sister Tamar the way that he did because he did not love God. That's how that became a possibility. Hear this. Children cannot love God and love what he hates. They can't do that. Children cannot love God 
and love what he hates. Had Amnon loved God, he would have had a proper view of and a proper love for his sister Tamar. You don't love God and then possess a view and a desire for your sister like he did. That's not possible. But if we're saying that we must teach our children to love God, that raises two questions. Number one, how do we do that? How do we teach our children to love God? The answer is found in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5. We just read it. But parents are commanded there to love the Lord their God with all their being, and then that is to be taught diligently to their children. And fathers, undoubtedly, the emphasis of that historically would have been on the father to lead that diligent teaching in the home. Not the wife, not the mother. That would have been, that would have fell to the responsibility of the father to teach their children to love the Lord their God with their whole being. Very important. But implied in that was that what was being taught was, listen, was being lived and demonstrated by the father and the mother in the home. Having said that, children know if their father and mother truly love God with their whole being. Your children know this about you. They know it about me. They know if you love God with everything in you. They know if you are a Romans 12.1 person where your life is a living sacrifice to the Lord. He's got you fully. He's got you fully. And here's how they know. Your devotion and obedience to God's word unequivocally tells them. It does. It does. Next, your calendar and your checkbook unequivocally tells them. Time and money, that never lies. What you devote your time and your money to tells the truth about who God is and what he means to you. It doesn't lie. Here's the next question that arises. How do we know if our children love God? Well, Jesus says in John 14, 15, if ye love me, keep my commandments. Parents know if their children truly love God by their obedience or disobedience to his word. Doesn't lie. <laughs> obedience or disobedience, they never lie. They always tell the truth. This is why parents ought to be burdened and very concerned when their children are walking in blatant disobedience to the word of God. This is when, I mean, like, you want to talk about being moved to a place of prayer and fasting. When your children are agree, I mean, they're just boldly crossing the lines of God's word with confidence and consistency. 
where they are indifferent. They, they could care less about what God says about how they're thinking, speaking, and living. That's a terrible place to be as a parent. Where they are quenching and grieving the Spirit of God with great regularity. It's how they're walking. It's who they are. Because listen, a child who does not love God will love what God hates. No doubt about it. And when that is true, here's what you get. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. That's where it's going. It's going to a very dark place. And that segues into the next lesson that I believe parents must teach, and it's back to verse 2. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. The point there was uh, he's been... Uh, sitting on this wicked, evil desire, but he couldn't find a way to act it out. He couldn't get to her. She was protected. She was guarded as she should have been, which is why there had to be a plan to get her away and get him alone with her. But that's very hard to read on a number of levels, is it not? Very. Very. But this was a young man who did not love God and was burning in lust for something that was biblically impermissible. Leviticus 18, 11, The nakedness of thy father's wife's daughter, begotten of thy father, she is thy sister, thou shalt not uncover her nakedness. In other words, sexually speaking, Tamar was off-limits for Abnan. She was not on the menu. She was not an option in this regard. Tamar was begotten of her father, which meant she... (laughs) No. (laughs) It's that simple. This is not allowed. But the last thing that Abnan was concerned with, listen, was God's word. (laughs) He didn't care about that. So listen... We must teach our children to love God's Word. We want our children to love God's Word, don't we? Please, God, let my children help them to love Your Word all the days of their life. Uh, one of the things I, I, I pray, have prayed for my children is, Lord, don't ever let them walk away from this. Please, God, do whatever you have to do to keep their heart and their mind devoted to this. Please. Even if you have to hurt them, do it. But don't let them walk away from this. Now, we must be mindful of what's before us. Amnon obviously 
had an inappropriate, lustful desire for a sister. So please, please, if our children do not love God's word, they will be unbridled in matters pertaining to sexuality. Unbridled. There will be no lines, there will be no boundaries. Again, be mindful of the context here. This is a young man who really needed to recognize and honor some boundaries sexually. And he would not do it. Would you consider this information? The CDC estimates that youth ages from 15 to 24 account for almost half of the 26 million new sexually transmitted infections that occurred in the United States in 2018. 57% of teens search out porn at least monthly. The first exposure to pornography among men is 12 years old on average. 71% of teens hide online behavior from their parents. Two-thirds of those who are 18 to 34 years of age do not believe premarital sex is ever wrong. More than 70% of newlyweds had lived with their partner or another person before marriage. Nearly half of young evangelicals ages 18 to 29 favor same-sex marriage. Brothers and sisters, it's not just boys. Listen, if your daughters do not love the word of God, they have no shot at purity. They have no shot. The Bible tells us that Tamar was a virgin. And that's precious to God. That's precious to him. Listen, Children who love God's word will treasure their virginity and they will flee fornication. You give me a teenager who doesn't love God's word and I bet you every dime I've got that the likelihood that they're going to land at the altar as a virgin is slim to none. Fornication in all forms, pornography, premarital sex, homosexuality, all of that. For a teen who loves the word of God is not for them. It's not for them. A verse that is near and dear to every godly teen is this. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committed fornication sinneth against his own body. I am ever grateful for uh, one of my dear friends and uh, close brothers, Pastor Code Blaze, who pastors downtown Baptist Temple in Ocala, Florida. It's been some years now when my son was in junior high and Code was uh, the guest speaker at All Church Retreat. Ken would have been probably, uh, he was maybe seventh or eighth grade. 
But he heard the testimony of Pastor Cole Blaze, and Pastor Cole Blaze said that the first time that he kissed his wife was at the altar on their wedding day. And the Lord took that and planted that into the heart of my son to this day, who's 19, who has never kissed a woman. And his heart and his goal is the first time that he kisses his wife will be after they exchange vows before God and the witnesses on his wedding day. I respect that immensely. I celebrate that. I encourage that. I tell him, bro, I'm crazy proud. That's amazing. You will not regret that. And that is the heart for my daughter as well. Our children are 19 and 18 years old, and they've never dated. And here's why. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the things whereof he wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Verses 8 and 9, I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I, single. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. God's answer for sensual urges is marriage, not fornication. That's the answer. That's the answer. If you recognize that you don't have the gift, no problem. You recognize that you're not like Paul where you can remain, you can contain as a single, no problem. God says the answer to that is call marriage. Nothing else. <laughs> So a desire to date says that you are not like Paul. So the discussion that we have with our children goes like this. So if you are not ready for marriage, why would you date? What are you going to do? Touching's out of the question. I mean, it, it's... What did Paul say? It is good for a man not to touch a woman. So when my daughter meets a young man and he comes to my home, it'll be very clear. You will not kiss my daughter. You will not touch her romantically. You will not see her unclothed until she's your wife. And there's no discussion about this. And if that's unreasonable, no problem. Go find someone else. But if I get a report of anything other than what I'm communicating to you, that's going to be a problem. 
And my son, out of respect to the father of the woman that he pursues, will sit down with her father and communicate those very terms. Mr. So-and-so, I will not touch your daughter in a way that is grievous to the Lord or disrespectful to you. Because of what the Bible says. Here's what most people do, though. And this parallels what Paul is saying. Look at Proverbs 6, 27, 28. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? Listen, I am not here to tell you that you have to do what I do and to say, well, you know, your kids can't date if they're teenagers. That's not what I'm saying. Here's what I am saying. I can tell you this with certainty. Teens who date without a love for the word of God will play with fire and get burned. I mean, this is my point with my kids. (laughs) Why would you want to hang out with your boyfriend or your girlfriend in the basement alone? Why would you want to do that? You're playing with fire. Why would you want to go park a car somewhere at night alone? Why? You're playing with fire. Don't do that. If a man doesn't want to fall, he shouldn't walk in slippery places. Let's not do that. What I can also tell you is that by the time the average couple arrives at the marriage altar, today, they're bringing the luggage and it's filled with pornography and fornication and bad, unhealthy sexual history that is going to become a problem in their marriage overnight. Marriage is not a switch that makes people holy. Or corrects unhealthy, bad habits. (laughs) This is why you've got to teach them to love God's word. All of that could have been avoided. Had they loved God's word. All right, verses three to five. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. And he said unto him, why art thou, being the king's son, lean from day to day? Wilt thou not tell me? And Amnon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And Jonadab said unto him, Lay thee down on thy bed, and make thyself sick. And when thy father cometh to see thee, say unto him, I pray thee, let my sister Tamar come, and give me meat, and dress the meat in my sight, that I may see it, and eat it at her hand. The beginning of verse 3 
is ominous, right? But Amnon had a friend, and the end of verse 3 affirms this. Jonadab, who was his cousin, was a very subtle man. What was on Amnon's mind and what was in his heart, listen, was of the devil. And Jonadab was just the man to show him how to realize it. Because Jonadab was a perfect type of the serpent, the devil. A perfect type. Genesis 3.1, now the serpent was more, say it with me, subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Like the serpent, Jonadab was subtle. But would you also notice that after we're introduced to the serpent in Genesis 3, verse 1, what follows that? What followed that was a question. So the serpent was, right, he was more subtle than any beast of the field. And then what comes after that was, yea, hath God said. After we are told that Jonadab was a very subtle man, guess what follows that? A question. And he said unto him, verse 4, Why art thou, being the king's son, lean from day to day? Striking. At the heart of his question was, <laughs> You're the king's son. You can have whatever you want. Why are you looking all lean, looking all down day to day? I mean, What's off limits to you? <clears throat> True to his character, he offered Amnon a plan that went beyond the provisions of God. Again, that lines up with the serpent because the name Jonadab means who gives liberally. Was this not the serpent in the garden? <laughs> Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? No, you, you can have it all. No, you can eat from that tree. Um, then you, you can have tomorrow. Parents, it is imperative that children learn that they cannot have everything that they see and desire. They have to learn that. Therefore, you must teach them to make peace with the word no. No, you cannot have that. Not, okay, you're in a checkout line, right? I, I know you want that, so uh, we're just not going to get it today. Uh, maybe we'll get it next time, okay? When our children were younger, uh, we would have the talk. We're going to Walmart, we're going to Target, whatever it is, listen. Uh, we're going grocery shopping, we're not going toy shopping. So let's make sure we're on the same page. Do not 
ask for anything. If you ask for something, the answer is going to be no. And you're going to be okay with that. You're not going to throw a fit. You're not going to throw a tantrum. Because if you do that, you will get disciplined. Want to make sure you understand? Do we understand each other? So, all right, we're in the store, and they're, do- they're hanging in there until you're in the checkout line. And, man, they set you up, don't they? With all the candy and all that stuff, and, and they're like... Dad, yes, can I have some candy? No, you cannot. And you watch it, and they're like, okay, like he said, if we ask, we're going to get no, and I can't throw a fit. And, and they're, they're managing it. And guess what happens? They made peace with it. Because one of the things they did learn is we didn't make idle threats and we didn't count to three. Listen, children who do not learn how to accept that word will be like Amnon and they will give place to the devil in their life because they just can't accept and live with the word no. But here's our final lesson for today. We must teach them to love God's ways. God's ways. Psalm 18:21 For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. Jonadab was teaching Amnon the ways of the devil and Amnon was about to wickedly depart from God. Parents, please the friends of our children will also serve as teachers. The friends of your children, they will teach them things. The question is, what will they teach them? Will they be a Jonadab or something else? The devil was using Jonadab to teach Amnon, listen, how to grieve God, and deceive his father to get what he wanted. How's that for a friend? Let me show you how to grieve God, and let me show you how to trick your father. And let me show you how to defile and wound your sister beyond imagination. My time is closing, but from, a, from personal experience and a lot of observation, here's what I can tell you. Children are unlikely to choose friends wisely without having experienced a healthy friendship with their parents. Okay, so that's a couple weeks ago. We were at the Chiefs game. Troy was in town for Mission Focus, and it was cold. <laughs> oh, man, it was cold. And uh, his kids, you know, they've been in New Philly for years, but they had never been to a Chiefs game. And so uh, Ken and I went, and, and, you know, Troy and I and his kids, and we had a great time. Chiefs won against the Bengals, so that was good. But uh, in healthy parenting, parents wear two hats. 
if in, in healthy parenting, you wear two hats. You are a father and a dad. You are a mother and you are a mom. Those are the two hats that we should be wearing, at least. The roles of father and mother must be established first because that teaches a child to listen and obey. And once that is established, we balance that by acting also as dads and moms, friends. This is why Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, 14, you are my disciples if you are my friends, sorry, if you do whatsoever I command you. So as dads and moms, we get to do fun things like that. We, we get to go to football games, and we get to go to movies, we get to go to ice cream, we get to go to vacations, we do fun things like that, and, and the children have a say in that. They, they get to vote, they get to, I think we should stay here, we should go do this front. No problem whatsoever, but here's what I love about that. As your children spend time with you as friends, guess what they learn? They learn how to have fun within boundaries. They learn how to have fun without grieving God. I'll give you an example of this. Uh, last Sunday, we were at the Mata's house uh, for the Chiefs game. Well, Pastor Will Mata and Todd and his family was there, his, his two boys, and uh, the Kimballs were there, and who am I missing? Did I, is that everybody? My, my kids were there, my family was there. And it was so cool, right? It, it was, we were all together. And the kids were a part of the scene and we're all eating and enjoying the game and celebrating and, and the kids weren't enduring it the whole time and just off from everybody on their phones, just kind of disconnected. No, they're, they're with their parents. They're with their mom and dad with the friends of their mom and dad. They were learning, they were having fun without departing from God. So that's what friendship looks like to them. They're learning that from you. Do you understand that your friends make a massive statement to your children? My children know what Troy means to me. But more than that, they know who he is. Troy is, stays in my home. I stay in Troy's home. I, I, I know his family. His family knows me. It's, but who he is tells my children, this is what a friend looks like. This is what you do with friends. There was no drunkenness at the Mottas. There was no profanity. There was no immorality. There was nothing that took place that was grievous to God. Ultimately, and I'm, I'm almost done, 1 Corinthians 4.17, Paul said, For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways. Which, he, which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul had begotten them through the gospel, which rendered him their spiritual father. And he taught them his ways, which were in Christ. So here we go. Whether they be in Christ or not, 
Children observe and adopt the ways of their parents. They do. They do. There was, I cover a lot today. And I want you to leave Ty some time. So Ty, why don't you come on up and wrap us up. Thank you, sir.